Who am I? You sure you want to know? The story of my life is not for the faint of heart. If somebody said it was a happy little tale, somebody lied. I will never forget these words. With great power comes great responsibility. Who am I? I'm Spider-Man. Welcome to Now Playing's Amazing Spider-Man Retrospective Series. Can Spider-Man come out to play? Part of the Now Playing Marvel Comic Movie Series. The real crime would be not to finish what we started. Hosted by Jacob. I see the spark in you. It's amazing. Whatever you choose to do with it, you'll be great. Stuart. This guy swings in once a day, zip zaps up in his little mask and answers to no one. And Arnie. Wherever I go, the wind follows. And the wind, it smells like rain. Ooh, my spider sense is tingling. If you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> but if your spider sense is tingling, it's because this podcast will have detailed plot spoilers and mild language. So listener discretion is advised. We're gonna have a hell of a time. Today we're going into the Spider-Verse, starring Shamik Moore, Jake Johnson, Haley Steinfeld, Mahershala Ali, Brian Tyree Henry, Lily Tomlin, Luna Laurent Velez, John Mulaney, Kimiko Glenn, with Nicolas Cage, and Leah Schreiber, directed by Bob Perchetti, Peter Ramsey, and Rodney Rothman. This is the now playing co-host who likes to drink egg creams and make podcasts, Arnie. And Stuart. Hey, this is Jacob. <laughs> and welcome to Animated Spider-Man. Sony using its license to the fullest for profit. Yeah, what a happy holiday surprise. Because when this project first appeared on my radar, just gritting of teeth. Oh, no. I kept believing that it wouldn't happen or that it would be dumped on streaming video like so much of that animated stuff I watched, like that recent Teen Titans movie that didn't go to the movies. Well, one of those that you were dreading was Marvel Rising, which was also supposed to come out this year. I can't remember what show last year we were doing. It might have been Thor or something, but Marvel had announced they were doing their own animated film called Marvel Rising that was going to feature a young squad of cartoon characters, and it was going to launch a toy line, a comic line, and a TV show that would start with a feature theatrical film. Then after that initial press release, I heard nothing. I kept reaching out to my contacts at Marvel. I heard nothing. It was finally released to Disney XD in October. I watched it. You know, I'm glad it didn't go to theaters. It does not have the animation or the quality to deserve theatrical release, but it's not bad. It's a bunch of teen girl superheroes with their one male friend trying to be young Avengers, basically. You didn't want to see Squirrel Girl on the big screen? Squirrel Girl and Quake. The star of it seems to be Ms. Marvel Kamala Khan, who basically has Mr. Fantastic stretchy powers. You know, it was not bad. I liked some of the music in it, but I don't think it would have held up any better than Teen Titans Go! 
to the movies did as far as the theatrical release. And let me be clear, it's not like I instantly have disdain for any animated superhero movie. I enjoyed both Incredibles movies. I did enjoy that Teen Titans go to the movies. It's just a lot of times they do feel like the kickoff to lesser animated TV series. Big Hero 6, Mask of Phantasm, God Help Me, that Gen 13 that we covered. (laughs) My real problem, honestly, is that Sony was doing it. And they've had five cracks already at making Spider-Man movies, plus that Venom thing, and none of them honestly have been that great. The original Raimi Spider-Man is amazing. I will stand by and use the term great. I will for the first one. That Green Goblin is not amazing. The Green Goblin outfit is the only thing you can nitpick on that, but the man under the outfit, incredible. Yeah, I mean, Willem Dafoe is so scary when the mask is off, he doesn't need to wear that mask. He already looks like a goblin. The Tobey Maguire trilogy, the Andrew Garfield duology, even Homecoming, all of them have been various shades of mediocre. I strongly, staunchly disagree. Spider-Man 1 and 2 under Raimi, really, really good. Some of the best superhero films to date. I didn't even recommend Spider-Man 2. That was a red arrow. One that I could not disagree with more except for Superman Returns. I love the Spider-Man films. I liked Homecoming a lot. It's gotten better on repeat viewings. And yeah, something has happened since I sat next to you watching the film and you came out shrugging. It has gotten better on repeat viewings. I've rewatched all three of the Raimi films probably annually. I think it's like a Thanksgiving tradition. To me, Spider-Man's a Thanksgiving movie. But I'm kind of in the same boat as you were. An animated Spider-Man movie, just because you don't have the Spider-Man license and you haven't done great things with it, it felt kind of hoary to me. I was not excited. Oh yeah, this one feels very hoary to me. The whole storyline, when I found out Into the Spider-Verse, I'm like, that was a comic story a few years ago. It ran for a while, and they even did a Venom-verse where you got multiple versions of Venom and Doctor Strange Venom and all that. And right now, because of the timing of the movie, they're doing Spider-Pocalypse, where all the Spider-Verse come back together. Yeah, of course. And that was my thing. I saw this. I'm like, really? This is what we're doing so we can spin out Spider-Man? Hey, maybe we'll get that Spider-Man noir cartoon and we'll get our Japanese Spider-Man cartoon. Let's throw everything at the wall and see who the favorite Spider-Man is. And then we could go off in that direction. That was just my cynicism seeing the trailer and marketing for this. And this isn't new. There was a Spider-Man cartoon series. They did Spider-Verse. They brought in Miles Morales and they brought in Spider-Gwen and they brought in regular Spider-Man and all these various spider people from various dimensions came together already. Which sometimes can feel inclusive and sometimes just feel like desperation. I mean, sometimes you're just like, boy, you don't know what to do, so let's just change the gender, Let's we'll make it a pig, whatever. That is not a selling point for me in and of itself. That's all that I knew going into this film. When I finally saw a teaser for this, it told me that this was not Peter Parker. The focus was going to be on a minority Spider-Man that I assumed had a life in comics, but I didn't know anything about. Yeah, thanks, Obama. I think that's why we did get Miles Morales. There was a big push to change up that formula, and in Ultimate Comics, we got Miles Morales, a African-American, Latino Spider-Man. So he's new? This is a character that's appeared on the scene in the last five years? 2011. I, I know he became popular after Obama became president. There was this push, and yeah, so a few years after that, they brought in Miles Morales. 
yeah, it's a creation of Brian Michael Bendis, and the suit design is Sarah Pacelli. And we talked about the Ultimate Spider-Man comics back when we did the Amazing Spider-Man movies with Andrew Garfield, how they were more science-based and more like the Ultimate Spider-Man comics. Well, the Ultimate Spider-Man comics did something interesting. After a hundred and so issues, the Ultimate Universe was not doing well. They'd launched it in 2000. There were X-Men, there were Ultimates, there were all these other universe comics. The only one that kept going and had good sales was Spider-Man. And I have my own theories as to why this happened. I think they knew they were going to end the Ultimate Universe, but Bendis said Peter Parker was going to die. And one thing about the Ultimate Universe, death was permanent there. There was no coming back from the grave. And Peter Parker was 16 years old and he was killed by the Green Goblin. And then they said they were going to launch a new Spider-Man and it was going to be Miles Morales. And a lot of people grumbled. Oh man, you know, because Marvel has a history recently of doing this. We're going to take Captain America and make him Falcon, or we're going to take the Hulk and make him Asian. And we're going to take Thor and make him female. They just gender and race swapped so many characters that it felt like, okay, you're doing this to Spider-Man now. But Miles Morales was a really good character, and I got so into that comic book, and I like Bendis as a writer. I think he could tighten it up a little bit, but I think that was a great character. And eventually Marvel said, all right, we're going to cancel the Ultimate Universe. It's done. And so they transported Miles. Miles was selling well enough that they did a dimensional portal to save him from his collapsing universe, and now he lives as Spider-Man in the same New York as the regular Spider-Man. Not to mention this movie. He finally lands on the big screen. This is the first time he's ever appeared, I assume, on any kind of media. He was in the TV show, like I mentioned. Okay. And they talked about it with, I believe, both Amazing Spider-Man films. And then they talked about it with Homecoming. You know, Donald Glover was really petitioning he wanted the Spider-Man role. And once there was a black-skinned Spider-Man out there, people were like, all right, give Donald Glover a chance. Make it Miles Morales. And he actually got a cameo in here. I don't know if either of you guys caught it, but Uncle Aaron is watching the episode of Community where Donald Glover is wearing a Spider-Man pajama set on his TV the first time Miles goes to visit him. Oh, I didn't catch that. I was looking. Is there going to be a Childish Gambino poster on the wall somewhere? I thought they might sneak something in, but I, did, I missed it. The first time I saw it, I thought it was like a Spider-Man news thing on the TV. But the second time I could tell it was Donald Glover and his PJs. But he and Spider-Gwen are probably the two breakout characters Marvel's had. Yeah, she was a big breakout from the Spider-Verse. From the Spider-Verse comics, this is a misnomer. By calling this Into the Spider-Verse, from the title, I thought we were going to see an adaptation of Dan Slott's comic, which is this really fun but dense story that there are creatures who feed off spider energy and they go dimension to dimension killing spider people and feeding on them. And so a bunch of spider people came together to fight them and a couple new ones were created for this, one of whom was Spider-Gwen, Gwen Stacy. Marvel had had a rule. Two people don't come back to life. Gwen Stacy and Uncle Ben. And finally, they broke that rule. They brought Gwen Stacy back to life in a parallel dimension as Spider-Gwen. And it was a huge hit character. And now she has her own comic. And she is a big star of the Marvel Rising cartoon. Her action figure is one of the hottest selling in a long time. This is what tells me, like, superheroes are here to stay in the theaters. That this trend is no longer a trend. It's just what audiences want. Because this film is one of the densest, nerdiest 
comic book geeky superhero films I have seen, like with all this stuff from these big crossovers and the comic book one. But yeah, here it is on the big screen. And it's interesting how deep they're willing to go. And I mean, we got Squirrel Girl, like I said, on that cartoon. They, they, mm-hmm. they just go deep now with all these superheroes. They can because, well, for one, all the most popular characters are out there many times in some cases. Multiple actors have played them. And we've seen audiences are willing to go with characters they don't know. Ant-Man had a sequel. Guardians had a sequel. Yeah, I think that people have a level of comfort that they're willing to go see a superhero movie with a character they may not have known before. And I... A little tired of the genre, but I do think that, yes, it's here to stay, or at the very least, we're living in an age of the superhero. And whether or not this one went by that formula, what intrigued me from the trailers was the animation style. I guess this is computer animated. It's so hard to tell. At times, it looks like cel-shaded animation. At other times, it looks CGI. At other times, it looks like almost live-action rotoscoped. And I was just really intrigued by the look, because one of my pet peeves, especially with CGI, it just all looks like a house style to me. And I know things have gotten better over time. If we ever do those Toy Story movies, we'll see an evolution in this, how good like humans will look and all that and the CGI. But I always feel like it all kind of looks the same. And so to see something that has style to it and looks, man, th- this looks like something either ripped off a graffitied wall or a comic book. It looks beautiful. That's what really intrigued me to want to see this, even if I wasn't doing it for the podcast. To answer your question, this was computer animated, but Miller and Lord, creators of the Lego movie, and producers of this movie and fire directors from Solo, they said they wanted to break all the rules with it. And it took them a year and about 30 animators to come up with the 10 seconds of footage they wanted because what they took away was any motion blur. Yeah, at times it almost feels like it's stop motion. It's just not like as smooth as you would expect for like a Pixar film. Like you said, at this point, how to do a CG animated movie is known. You just have your rules of how to do it. They wanted to do it differently. They wanted to go for comic books. And so they had to hand draw lines on people and then figure out in a computer how those lines are going to continue to work because it wouldn't work in 3D. They really changed it up. And Sony had never had this before, but 140 animators worked on this film. It's a record number for a Sony animation. Yeah, and not only is it referencing comics, books i feel like lots of movies try to do that well let's bring back panels let's do all of that it's the mixed media kind of art that i think of a a fine art basquiat the artist that was able to take street art and popular characters comic book characters and turn it into something that would go to a gallery this is going to be something that you're going to notice the newsprint dots when you look at a character's face you're going to see multiple lines as if there was a printing error sometimes when characters move they are really going to hone in on the way that the characters existed in print media and then were brought to the streets by street artists like basquiat I can't believe that they were able to bring in like an old Warner Brothers or more Looney Tunes cell shaded style and then a really high energy, bright Japanese anime style. Then Spider-Man Noir, who looks like newsprint, actually, just like old black dot, gray dot newsprint. And then, of course, their own graffiti comic book style and make it all work and not feel incohesive. It felt fresh, but I'll admit, when we did Venom, remember at the end of Venom, we got to see the chase scene at the graveyard? Yes. They put the whole thing. I didn't like it. 
I went on record then saying, I do not like this animation style. I don't like how silly it looks. I didn't like how Peter Parker's lips flapped in the wind. It just felt too damn silly to me. And I was afraid this whole thing was going to be some wacky slapstick thing I did not want. But now that I've immersed myself, I've seen the movie twice, once in 3D, once in 2D. Even though the director says this must be seen in 3D, don't see this in 3D. <laughs> the 3D did nothing for me. Oh, really? I was watching this in 2D and I'm like, wow, this must look amazing in 3D. But that's not the case. It's redundant. I mean, this movie has a three-dimensional quality because of the mixed media style. It will pop out at you just by the way that it's layered on there. It's seriously one of the best looking films of the year, animation or live action. Incredible. But yeah, I happened to see the first viewing with you, Arnie, and you asked me whether I had noticed. And it's true. You don't really notice the three dimensions that are brought out by Real D. It, it doesn't help to have a 3D viewing to, in order to experience what it's doing visually. While we're discussing the art style, though, the one thing I just didn't like, especially on 3D, was how they replicated the old four-color printing process of comics by having stuff offset and shadowing and things. And so half of the 3D viewing, I'm like, are my glasses not working? Am I in the Jupiter Ascending type thing again where they put the wrong thing forward? Why am I seeing this ghosting? I thought it was a 3D artifact. No, it's the style. Oh, no. Oh, it's there in the 2D. And I also noticed at times, like, things just seemed a little out of focus. And I'm like, is that because of the 3D or is that just the style? And then I went back with Marjorie to see the 2D because I just wanted to see for myself how this looked in 2D with that shadowing. And she turned to me and said, is this supposed to be a 3D showing? Do I need to go get glasses <laughs> because of that exact shadowing? These aren't really complaints for me. I, I love how stylized this film is, but I did notice these things. It does have a different look than if you saw Ralph Breaks the Internet or Incredibles 2 this year. Yeah, this is the graffiti version of that. You normally go to the theaters and see something pristine, and this is going to be something that's edgier and done by peripheral artists, people that don't normally get a shot at bringing this into a mainstream theater this way. The ghosting did bother me. It distracted me. I thought that might have been the step too far, but I liked all the rest. I liked how they didn't gradiate the colors. They used dotting in order to change the color tips the way silk screening does and the way they had the lines like they do in a comic book. It was just the ghosting. It ended up hurting my eyes in 2D. We're all in agreement this film looks great, but how's the plot, Arnie? Crime Lord Kingpin, voiced by Lee F. Schreiber, is a tortured man. When he was about to kill his greatest enemy, Spider-Man, his wife and son walked in on him. They ran away from Kingpin in terror, seeing him in a murderous rage, but died in a car crash. Kingpin will now do anything to bring them back. So his company, Alchemax, hires Dr. Olivia Octavius, voiced by Katherine Hahn, to create a machine that will tap into parallel dimensions and allow him to bring his wife and son back. The machine tests cause earthquakes throughout New York, and one of the tests brings, from a parallel dimension, a radioactive spider. Miles Morales, voiced by Shamik Moore, is a 15-year-old who's the new kid at the exclusive Voices Academy. He doesn't want to be there, but his police officer father Jefferson, voiced by Brian Tyree Henry, is pushing his son to excel. But Miles prefers to explore his graffiti art, something his uncle Aaron, voiced by Mahershala Ali, indulges. So one night, Aaron takes Miles to a location underneath the Alchemax lab where Miles can paint a large mural. But when he's done, Miles is bitten by that radioactive spider. 
Miles finds himself with the powers of Spider-Man, plus a couple powers Spider-Man doesn't have. Miles can turn invisible and emit taser-like venom stings from his hands. Trying to figure this out, Miles goes back to the spider that bit him, but that's right beneath the Alchemex lab where Spider-Man and the Green Goblin are having a major fight that breaks through the wall and before he knows it, Miles finds himself literally in between the two combatants. And inside the Kingpin's dimensional portal where the real Spider-Man is trying to destroy the machine before it opens a black hole under Brooklyn. Spider-Man sees Miles and the two have a moment where they realize they're alike, and then Spider-Man goes to destroy the machine. Instead, the monstrous Green Goblin gets the upper claw and pushes Spider-Man's head into the stream. The machine is damaged but not destroyed, as is Spider-Man, badly hurt, so he gives Miles the USB key that can destroy the machine. Miles is spotted by Kingman Henchman the Prowler, so he flees, narrowly escaping but Spider-Man is killed by Kingpin. The city mourns and Miles struggles with his new powers and responsibility, but visiting Peter Parker's grave, Miles encounters an older, divorced, out-of-shape Spider-Man. See, when Spider-Man's head was pushed into the stream, it called Spider-People from across several parallel dimensions. We have Nazi-fighting Spider-Man Noir, voiced by Nicolas Cage. Teenage Spider-Woman Gwen Stacy, voiced by Haley Steinfeld. Futuristic Penny Parker, voiced by Kamiko Glenn, and her spider mech, which she controls through her psychic link to a spider inside, and Spider-Ham? From a cartoon world voiced by John Mulaney. Finally! I've loved Spider-Ham ever since I saw him at six years old. <laughs> Each of the displaced spiders are glitching. If they don't return to their own dimension soon, they will deatomize. They all meet up at the dead Spider-Man's Aunt May's house when they're attacked by several of Kingpin's goons. It takes all the spiders to fight them off and build a new USB key. And in the fight, Miles is beaten by the Prowler, who it turns out is Miles' uncle Aaron. Miles reveals his identity and the Prowler allows himself to be shot and killed by Kingpin rather than slay his brother's son. But Miles still can't control his powers, so the other spiders feel he's not ready to go into combat. The plan is the older Peter Parker will sacrifice himself so the others can return home, something he doesn't mind because since his divorce he's given up on life. Mary Jane wanted kids and Peter wasn't ready and that ruined their marriage. But Miles discovers the power within himself. He tags a costume and web shooters given to him by Aunt May, voiced by Lily Tomlin, and races to Alchemax. There's a big battle but Miles proves himself and the other spiders return home. Peter, with a renewed sense of optimism and his experience with young Miles teaching him he may actually be ready to have kids. And Miles destroys the machine, leaving Kingpin strung up for the cops and becomes that dimension's true and only Spider-Man. As Gwen opens a dimensional portal asking if Miles is busy? And in a post-credit stinger, we see the future, where Miguel O'Hara, Spider-Man 2099, voiced by Oscar Isaac, is given a wrist device that will allow him to safely jump to parallel realities and times. And he goes back in time to... The 1967 Spider-Man cartoon. I was waiting for this meme to get referenced the entire movie. <laughs> As the lights come up and the movie ends. We were counting before recording. Nine Spider-Men. <laughs> but what told me we were going into something different was the very first shot. We get the titles for Sony, Columbia Pictures, and Pascal Pictures. And they all start glitching. Like, the Sony woman becomes a cowboy cartoon shooting guns and a cell-shaded cartoon. They're saying from the beginning, everything is going to have five or six different styles. 
And we were talking about in the comics how Miles Morales came from the Ultimate Universe, but is this movie set in the Raimi universe? They definitely were thinking about Sam Raimi's Spider-Man and even had discussed approaching Tobey Maguire to do the voice. Ah. But they made some specific changes. Like, they show the upside-down kiss, but... It's Mary Jane who's upside down, not Peter. They show the car coming into the diner, like from Spider-Man 2, only he's wearing the Spider-Man outfit. He's not Peter Parker. Well, I'm talking about that Spider-Man 3 dance. Yeah, there's definitely that. And that did confuse me. Is this Maguire Spider-Man or is the Peter B. Parker we're going to meet the Maguire Spider-Man? But I'll admit, I mean, I was very excited. I think it's Peter B. Parker that we're going to see later, but to see an extension of the Raimi universe, which still is my favorite Spider-Man incarnation in film. Yeah, you already know this story. I appreciated that because I'm tired of rebooting this character. Thank you for at least not boring me with an origin story. They're going to just race through what everyone in the whole world already knows, the greatest hits of all the movies. I feel like there's also some web tugging that reminds me even of Tom Holland recently in Homecoming, the way <laughs> I think Spider-Man is holding the Brooklyn Bridge together at some point. Reminds me of that boat scene. But there's no Andrew Garfield references, right? I didn't catch any. I noticed that Tom Holland one, I, tons of Tobey Maguire stuff. No Andrew Garfield. No one likes him, I guess. He wasn't the worst. He wasn't like 70s TV show Spider-Man. Though they should have included that one. One of the things I loved about the Spider-Verse comic was they actually included the newspaper cartoon strip Spider-Man and the villains who went to that dimension were like, everything moves so slowly. Why do we keep saying the same things in the next panel? I'm getting out of here. This is going to take forever. So I love it when they do bring in the completely obscure, but... Again, telling me this isn't the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man or Peter Parker is that, first of all, he's blonde and it doesn't look like a dye job. And then second of all, he's voiced by Chris Pine, who deserves an award. He's done every franchise now, right? Star Trek, DC, and Marvel. Has the idea of a multiverse just gone mainstream? Because I feel like if I was a child, that'd be a very complicated thing to understand. But recently, I watched A Wrinkle in Time, which stars Chris Pine. I never read that book, but I doubt it's Chris Pine opining about the multiverse for like the first 15 minutes, like in that film. It seems very complex. I'm looking at my eight-year-old daughter. She's just going along with it. She's like, oh yeah, this totally makes sense. Maybe it's just, we're at that point where that is just a common thing. But I do think it's crazy that, yeah, we're taking these weird physics ideas now of string theory and all that and now it's just like mainstream marvel cartoon just to speak to madeline engel she pioneered that that was a book from the 60s it was the where i heard the word mitochondria for the first time okay so the book is like that <laughs> yeah she's a scientist which is why it's so hard to adapt and i don't know if that movie did it 100 percent successfully but it was all right it was all right that's not great <laughs> yes the idea that we're going to have a multiverse, to me, is a way of acknowledging the fact that we don't have a uniform pop culture anymore. It used to be everyone listened to the same songs, watched the same TV shows on the three networks that we had. And then because of the internet, really, that is the multiverse I think of, people are allowed to have their own realities and their own places where their tastes dominate. Yeah, it's very postmodern. Like, if you want Black Spider-Man, you can have Black Spider-Man. You want Pig Spider-Man, you can have Spig Spider-Man. Right, yeah. We know the white guy is not going to be the Spider-Man of this movie. 
Although the trailers play up Peter Parker enough, you know, it reminded me a little bit of After Earth in that the trailers might make you think it's a complete team up film, especially with the name Spider-Verse, when in fact, this is really the Miles Morales origin story. But when I saw this movie with you, Stuart, that showing was Thursday at five and empty. And I got spoiled when I went back Friday at 630, filled every seat taken and tons of kids. See, I went to a 10 p.m. show to try to avoid those kids. They were still there, though. Oh, the kids were not into the movie, but they talk as kids are wont to do. And when we get another Spider-Man showing up, I just hear some kid go, is he from a parallel dimension? Yeah, kids just know that now. It's crazy. Yeah, young kids are really tuned into this through the media they watch. And I'm happy to go to this dimension once I finally meet Miles Morales. Spider-Verse is the most amazing representation of ethnic diversity we've yet had in the superhero movie genre. And yes, I saw Black Panther 2. I thought it had a wonderful Afrocentric universe full of scene-stealing supporting characters. But you might remember my one gripe about that film was that T'Challa himself kind of felt like a bystander in his own star vehicle. I didn't find him to be that compelling. I really relate and connect to Miles. I think that he is a character that young audiences and older audiences of all ethnic diversity are going to respond to. Diversity is the word of the day, isn't it? Or the word of the century so far. Trying to be inclusive. This movie's message at the end, they're going to literally say, anyone can wear the mask. You can wear the mask. You can be male, female, Latino, a pig. <laughs> anyone can wear the mask. And that's a big thing that I think Marvel tried to do. When in our book, we reviewed the movie Confessions of a Superhero, Jacob, you pointed out the black actors who wear those outfits were relegated to characters who wore masks because there weren't black superheroes that they could be. You can't be black Superman and have people pay you money to take a photo with you and make a living. He had to put on the Hulk mask and things. But Marvel is saying anyone can be Spider-Man. Here's a half black, half Latino Spider-Man and a bunch of other Spider-Mans. And we're going to have an Asian Spider-Girl and all types of things. Yeah, and this is tricky. I mean, there has been a vocal set of the population that has said, we hate this. We have a fundamentalist belief that certain characters look a certain way, and we don't want that to change. It is hard for some people to accept that, because on some level, it devalues what you have. If you say, these are the properties that make a hero, and then go, eh, you don't really need those properties, it means that you have to find a character that's just as good as the one that people know. And the other danger is when you do make it like a black character, you got to worry about the stereotypes. And I see this Miles Morales, he's into the graffiti. There's a great hip hop soundtrack for this movie, but there are those dangers. You got to play just right that it doesn't feel like you're just going into stereotype mode, that these are fleshed out characters. And I do think Miles Morales is a well fleshed out character in this film. Well, there are three directors here and they are also ethnically diverse. I think they're able to bring a reality to it the same way Ryan Coogler was able to bring an authenticity to Black Panther. I do think as much as I sit there and go, why can't a man direct Wonder Woman as well as a woman? I think women can direct action just as well as men. I mean, I loved The Hurt Locker and that was Catherine Bigelow and Point Break also Catherine Bigelow and Punisher Warzone. Not a great movie, but great action from Lexi Alexander. But I just do think when it comes to knowing how different cultures live, you need to have lived it 
and be there to tell that story. This movie is doing a very good job of humanizing a character who is directionless, who is put into a place where he's told he will be the best and to excel. His parents have all these expectations. He doesn't even get to live with his parents for five of the seven days of the week. He has to move down to the Visions Academy, and he doesn't like it. He wants to fail. Like All of his friends are in the neighborhood. That's where he wants to be, and I think it's just really dramatized very, very well. I actually think, having read a lot of Bendis's Ultimate Spider-Man comics with Miles Morales, that Spider-Man, while his mother is Latina, always just felt like he was more raceless. But here, I like how they kind of talk Spanglish there. You know, he's like, hasta luego, mama, intermixes the Hispanic culture with the African-American culture. I honestly think it does it better than the comic. And I noticed something... It was very subtle, but I noticed it, and I was wondering if this was just more of that, like, look, not everyone's a traditional family, because his dad, he's got a name badge, his last name is not Morales, he is African-American, his last name's Davis, his mom is the Morales. I don't know if they're married, if Miles is from a previous relationship. It was a nice little subtle thing, just saying, you know, it doesn't have to be the standard family structure to be a, a loving family. And he actually has two parents. How many superheroes have two parents? <laughs> yeah, though we're told Spider-Man, like the core of Spider-Man is someone you love has to die, but it's not going to be one of these parents. But it is a theme in superheroes that you have issues with your parents. However they come to you, maybe they're absentee, maybe they're overbearing, but there is going to be something about you, the striving for that connection is going to define you. And I think the fact that, yes, this dad, Jefferson Davis, is a cop, a rule follower, someone that believes in the system and wants his kid to go to this prep school, that's the struggle. We will see that Miles wants to be loved for who he is right then as a graffiti artist, as someone that's just from the neighborhood, he's much more inclined to connect with Jefferson's brother. The Uncle Aaron is much more appealing because he's cool with who Miles is right now. He doesn't want him to become anything greater. I was spoiled because I read the comics. Prowler was not a major Spider-Man villain. When Bendis came over to do the comics, yeah, he did do Green Goblin and Doc Ock, but he made his own stuff and he looked at some minor Spider-Man baddies and gave them new life. Prowler was one of those. And I knew from the comics Prowler was Miles' uncle. And I'm curious, I don't know, Jacob, if you knew that, but Stuart, I know you didn't. When did you guys figure it out or did you have to wait for the unmasking? I did not know it. I waited for the unmasking. It was funny. My wife leaned over to me. She's like, oh, that's the uncle. He's going to die, which he actually ends up doing. But I did think it was interesting when you get the unmasking. I'm like, oh, that's an interesting conflict is that his beloved uncle is the bad guy. But yeah, it was a surprise to me. I did, had no idea. I thought he was up to something bad. Yeah, I thought he was like a criminal because he's always disappearing and his brother doesn't like him, it seems. Yeah, that was my assumption was that there had been a falling out between the brothers. And this is a guy that's actually going to like take Miles to go with real spray cans and graffiti because Miles does like an innocent version of graffiti. He draws on the hello, this is my name tags and then he just sticks it somewhere. Those things would be easy to scrape off. It's not like the graffiti where you have to repaint and sandblast and all of that. You tell that to Shepard Fairey. I still see Obey Giant stickers everywhere in LA. 
Yeah, well, that's true. I mean, maybe they don't come off that easy, but maybe people want them there, too. Street art has become much more popular and accepted. There'll be a Banksy reference later. <laughs> that yes. made me laugh. <laughs> but he's a good kid, but Aaron's going to take him down. And again, knowing Aaron was the prowler, and even Miles is like, how did you know about this place where you have to walk down subway tracks? Not a safe thing to do and avoid that third rail. And then climb a fence and do the spray paint. All the while, we're teased by the this radioactive spider 42 this movie hides the number 42 everywhere in plain sight this is spider 42 and during this montage of miles doing the graffiti where i love that a little bit of the spray paint gets on the quote-unquote lens of the camera as he's painting the spider climbs on the paint can is he gonna get bit then no he puts the can away and that spider's like glitching around as he's walking so if the spider's from alchemax but the spider's from a different dimension because it's glitching where'd the spider come from because all of the spider people were already bit well they do say earlier that they have felt tremors in new york so i don't know maybe some spider fell in there that has similar dma as the alchemex spider and it brought it forward testing had been going on for a while there was references to like earthquakes or something going on earlier when miles is going to school and so this thing yeah comes crawling in it's glitching and what is with the 42? Is that a missed comics reference for me? Or I just think of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. The number 42 was something Bendis put repeatedly as some kind of thread in the Miles Morales comics. So he's a Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy fan too then. That's all I can think of. Why would you put 42? And then Bendis got hired to an exclusive contract with DC, so nobody ever got to find out what the 42 meant. Was that Jackie Robinson's number? I think it was, yes, because yeah. there was that movie 42. Yeah, that's the only reason I know. I know nothing about sports, but I know movies. I think that was the number. <laughs> I'd never heard of Alchemax before. Is that an entity created specifically for Morales? No, it's actually from Spider-Man 2099, which we'll see that Spider-Man at the very end of this film after the credits. But they tease it and they tease it. The spider's on the paint cans and the spider's on his hand and he keeps reaching for the spider. The spider finally bites him and... This got a laugh out of me both times and the audience I was with Friday night. You see this venom going in and this ominous music and the quick cuts of all, all of it going into his body. And then you cut back out and he's just like, oh, and brushes the spider off and walks away. Yeah, he's not particularly afraid of it. It doesn't freak him out. that he, got, he doesn't think much about it. He's much more into what he's done with his uncle. And it's cool. They made a full-on mural, no expectations, in contrast to the fact that school had just assigned him the book Great Expectations and wanted him to write a personal essay about who he was going to be. This is, again, the struggle of this character. Obviously, the spider's going to play a big role in who he's going to be. Our physics professor allowed to assign personal essays <laughs> they can do whatever they want their teacher here's the thing though we made those jokes during andrew garfield's spider-man where they did everything they could to not say with great power comes great responsibility and it's hilarious how they try to avoid just repeating that line here i like this no expectations versus great expectations it has the same kind of message but it's just more clever it doesn't feel like they're trying to distance themselves from what has been done before but they found a new way to put a twist on it i like it when miles dad is taking him to school and he goes with great accountability comes great accountability. 
And that's not the line, Dad. Hey, you know, this was written by the Lego guys. And I do think some of that humor, that if you love the Lego movie, the self-referencing, and just the love of toys and toyetic things, I see that come through. But I find it much more human here. This doesn't feel ADHD like that Lego movie did. I really did struggle with the intensity that that movie threw jokes at me. And here, it feels much more naturalistic. These people feel much more like human beings and not toys or cartoons even i think the animation may be going for a 2d style or they say 3d but the characters are certainly 3d now the first time i saw the film i chafed a little bit this is a long animated movie this is a yes. full two hour movie and i felt that length more the first time when we're spending so much time with miles at school meeting wanda or guanda or <laughs> it's this girl at school also new to school I see her, I'm like, that's Gwen Stacy, right? And she almost says her name Gwen, but then changes it to Wanda. Obviously, he's got a crush on her. His uncle's gonna teach him the move where you put the hand on the shoulder and assuming you're not accused of assault at that very moment for touching a woman, you go, hey. He's gonna try that, not knowing how his spider powers work. I haven't seen this one. I can't unstick. We're only 12 minutes into the movie. I can't emphasize how fast this movie moves, but I do agree. It's got a lot to cover, so it will be a full two-hour event. I just felt like we'd seen this before with Tobey Maguire, Andrew Garfield. And so I was like, how much of the Miles Morales running from the school security guard and running without a shirt on the wall? I wanted Spider-Verse and I was getting all Miles Morales at school just the first time. It was not a problem the second time, but the first time I was like... I feel like this movie could speed it up. During the beginning, I'm right there with you, Arnie. It does feel like it lags a little bit. Once more Spider-Men show up and the plot kicks in, it moves pretty breezy. One thing I really love about this movie that I think it does better than any live action movie I've seen is the way that it plays with characters and their comfort level walking upright on buildings. You know, normally you think of Spider-Man in a crouch when he climbs, like a spider, you know. But here, this movie is going to have a lot of fun with people stepping out onto brick walls and standing at 90 degree angles from the ground. It has a great set piece where this kid is having pigeons stick to him and he's flipping past classroom walls. And Ollie Gwynn really seems to notice who he is and what's going on with him. And I have to ask you, Arnie, I think you're probably more familiar than I am. It's been a long time since I've read that first Spider-Man comic, but we constantly get references to comics. We'll see a comic get thrown down. We're given an origin story of another different Spider-Man in this film. But as Miles Morales is figuring out these powers and he's walking on that wall and the pigeons are stuck to him, it keeps throwing back to that first Spider-Man comic, like showing the same things happening to Peter Parker. I don't remember this happening, like pigeons getting stuck to him. I think they took some liberties there, but I thought it was a clever device for him to realize oh, I'm just like this comic book character I read about. Yeah, it, instead of being Amazing Fantasy 15, it was the Amazing True Tales of Spider-Man, so it's a biography comic. Yeah, because Spider-Man's a real thing in this universe. But it had the Amazing Fantasy 15 art on the front, but no, none of that happened to Spider-Man where he's like, stick, stick, unstick, unstick. No, that is a liberty being taken. Okay, I didn't think so. <laughs> but... No one in this movie is from the 616 universe, which is the main Marvel universe. So they, you know, this Spider-Man had a different comic based on his biography. And the one thing that the Spider-Verse comic said is that there is a, and I don't kind of like this, but a spider totem. I'm glad no Peter Parker turns into an actual spider in this like they did in the comics. <laughs> Yes, but the spider totem could have them all have a similar origin story in those dimensions. 
We're going to see when these two Spider-Men meet. Miles is going to go back to the scene of the crime to try and get the spider. So, Hadron, I feel like we're about a decade beyond the fear that particle colliders are going to, like, destroy us. No, it's already happened. Don't you know about the Mandela effect? The Berenstain Bears and the Berenstain Bears? We've entered that multiverse. I don't know what you're talking about. I know what the Berenstain Bears are. People remember it as the Steen Bears. I do. I guess they're of Hebrew descent, but it's the Berenstain Bears. And people swear that the Haldron Collider created a multiverse and has changed our reality. That's why people swear Sinbad was in a genie movie. No, that was Shaq. (laughs) (laughs) This is a whole thing. Look up the Mandela effect. Uh, Okay. Meanwhile, I have a friend who actually works with the Hadron Collider, and she has to repeatedly assure me every time they spin it up that I won't just be atomized. Yeah, I I feel like that was a real thing before they turned it on, and I haven't been thinking about it lately. But it is the doomsday device of this film. This film is predicated on the idea that the reason why the multiverses come together is because Fisk Industries has created this in secret underneath its tower... And finding out why that is, who that is, is the mystery of this film. But the traditional Spider-Man we have, the Chris Pine Spider-Man, is here to stop it. And he's fighting an awfully big Green Goblin. Bigger than I've ever seen before. Okay, Arnie, I I don't remember ever seeing the Green Goblin in Ultimate Spider-Man. Again, I didn't read a whole lot of those issues. But was Green Goblin a dragon in the Ultimate-verse? Yes, he was. And and actually... You know, much like the Spider-Man 2002 movie, it tied Green Goblin and Spider-Man's origins together. But when Norman Osborn injected himself, he turned into this giant non-verbal dragon creature. All right. There's little things telling me either these are stylistic choices they don't want to do, that silly Willem Dafoe outfit, or yeah, this is not the 616 universe. They're telling us that this is a different Marvel universe. I think with this animated universe, they could pretty much do whatever they wanted, but they wanted to go a little bit deeper and stick with more the ultimate comics. This feels so much like Bendis' comics adapted for screen. Yeah, he's an executive producer. He got some money out of this. Yeah, he was consulted on the writing. And the way Miles Morales is created here is very similar, which is he was bitten shortly before Peter Parker died, and he'll go to Aunt May and need help from Aunt May and have this roommate that he shares his secret with. So much of this movie just felt taken from the Ultimate Universe to me that, yeah, that's why I think this goblin was here. It just feels like the villains are bigger this time. Goblin is enormous. Kingpin is like a wall. Kingpin is huge. I don't know how he gets through the doorways, but I love the design. The negative space with that black outfit that he wears. Sometimes you see his head and maybe the outline of the lapel on his suit. I love the design. I was nervous. You know, having my toy shows that I do, the other podcasts, I see a lot of movie toys at Toy Fair and San Diego and New York. And I had seen this Kingpin and I'd seen all these characters from this movie. I pretty much knew who the villains were going to be. There was a goblin playset with a giant goblin head and this kingpin that was like a tiny head poking out of a chest. It reminded me of Quato in a little, if Quato moved up a little bit. But in the movie, 
it does work. He's the only human being shaped like that, and he is this hulking person, just super strong. It almost is like he's mutated himself in some ways, but it does end up working, and he comes across as dangerous. Very dangerous. He delivers a death blow. With his fist, he takes out traditional Peter Parker. Once the collider explodes, it's going to need to be repaired. Peter's under the debris. He hands off the MacGuffin of the movie, the goober, the key, whatever you want to call it, a thumb drive that can turn the machine off. As soon as Miles has made a promise to him, I think, okay, well, this guy will get healed. He'll train him. He'll mentor him. No, Kingpin's going to walk up and just pound him with one punch, kill him. I was totally surprised by this because all I had really seen of this movie before was the trailers and that little chase scene after Venom. I didn't remember that there was a blonde and a brunette (laughs) Peter Parker. I just assumed they're all the same design. They kind of look similar. So yeah, I thought, oh no, he's going to be throughout this film. But no, they're going to kill him. And he doesn't even come back by the end of this film. I wasn't expecting that in a cartoon, you know? They often pull their punches, this is PG-rated versus PG-13, but I'd read the Ultimate Comics, and I knew Peter Parker died there so Miles Morales could come into his own and be the only Spider-Man of that universe. It's too easy to make him a sidekick, right? You don't want him as a sidekick. He needs to end up the only Spider-Man. So when he did that, I was watching the kiddies in my audience who were not watching the movie. They were fidgeting and kicking and talking, but I I thought that was a hard choice right there. This movie, I have so much trouble getting into action in cartoons. Incredibles, I complained about that. Big Hero 6. This movie, during this fight, and really all the fights, the camera movement and everything is getting me into it. And then after Spider-Man dies, to see Miles on the run from the Prowler is really an exciting chase through the subway tunnels. and Yeah, I agreed. I was kind of like, okay, we're doing the origin story thing. Come on, let's get to something. And then, yeah, when this fight breaks out and this chase, and I love the design of the Prowler, and like he almost just kind of growls most of the time. We'll finally talk later on. But yeah, all this stuff, I'm like, wow, this is really intense and really adrenalizing. I really enjoyed the action stuff in this. Yeah, every chase scene, not just this one, but I agree, Prowler is particularly scary. I didn't know him from the rogues gallery of Spider-Man villains, but I think he's very imposing. You wouldn't even need a kingpin, you could just make him the big heavy. And yeah, all the chases. If you have, like I do, a semi-bias against the idea that animated films can deliver what live-action films do... I would actually argue this movie can do better than any live-action Spider-Man right by the character. It is easily the most exciting Spider-Man that makes you believe in all of the wall crawling and all of the chase. I think Homecoming did well, but wasn't that action-packed. And you're right. Having rewatched the Raimi films, the biggest flaw I have with it anymore isn't the suit of the Goblin. It's the fact that the CGI effects from 2002 just don't hold up. And this because you're in that world, this chase through the subway, and son's going to make it home to his dad, the apartment. That's where it's reaffirmed. Dad hates Spider-Man. He loves his son. He will even embarrass his son by putting on an intercom on his squad car. I love you, but he hates Spider-Man. And so what is this kid going to do now that he's both this man's son and promised to be the new Spider-Man now that Spider-Man is dead? This is where we get our first posthumous Stan Lee cameo. People actually were like, 
oh, like there was audibly that kind of mourning when he showed up in this. They benefit by the fact that they chose to have Stan Lee be in a non-funny moment. You know, sometimes you see him and you laugh, like he's walking a little dog or something. The fact that he's talking in past tense, he was a friend of mine, you know? Yeah, and it's about a dead character that he co-created. Yeah, it really did feel like it was Stan Lee saying goodbye, but yet... He also has the line, I mean, it's played for a laugh because Miles is like, can I return it if it doesn't fit? And there's the big no refunds under for any reason sign. But the way it goes, it always fits eventually is yet another Stanley life lesson. I thought that was actually a very touching line. And that's kind of the core of this story. I, again, they'll tell us later on, anyone could wear the mask, but I loved it when he delivered that line that, yeah, the suit will always fit eventually. Everyone is wearing the mask. They're all gathering in downtown New York for a public eulogy by Mary Jane. And I forgot, I'm so disconnected from this universe, I forgot that Gwen Stacy and Mary Jane are two different characters. Who is Gwen then? I, it was Emma Stone, right? She was in yeah. the Garfield one, so of course you're going to forget those. In the comics, she was an earlier girlfriend that, like in that movie, Spider-Man accidentally kills her trying to save her, and then he moves on eventually to Mary Jane. Well, no, they were romantic rivals for the longest time. Mary Jane was mentioned like in the seventh issue of Amazing Spider-Man, but when Peter Parker was at college, oh, poor little nerdy Peter Parker had to choose the supermodel <laughs> <Yes>. redhead <laughs> or the really smart, brainy blonde, and they eventually resolved the love triangle by killing Gwen Stacy. Here, the voice is Zoe Kravitz, but... Man, does she do a voice that sounds so much like Kirsten Dunst that, you know, ever since Joe Quesada had the devil's deal to undo Peter Parker and Mary Jane's marriage in the comics, it always is a little touching to me when I get to see them married again. And now she's a widow, but they made it work. The devil didn't have to come in and undo that. I think it's wise that they're going to keep Mary Jane associated with Peter Parker. That later when we get another one coming in from the Spider-Verse, Peter B. Parker, he's going to be obsessed with Mary Jane. But Miles, this is not his thing. That he's going to be linked to Gwen feels right because that pushes us more towards things we haven't focused on in the movies before. But we have seen some of these scenes. Miles is going to try to go out there and be a hero. He does what Toby did, trying to jump off of a building, goes for a smaller building, still falls down and breaks both himself and the key. Now the device that is going to shut down the collider, should it be put back online, is not going to work. This is when he feels like he's a failure and goes to Peter Parker's grave. Because with Spider-Man dead, everyone knows it's Peter Parker. Peter Parker has been all over the news. There's tons of tributes at the grave. And yes, this is where we get Peter B. Parker's origin story. Now, I'll admit, the first time I saw this movie, I didn't know what the spider glitching meant. And so the second time I saw it, it made me realize, hey, that's a spider from an alternate universe. I didn't know that. Well, the first time we saw the Spider-Man origin and he's like, you know who I am. I've saved the world. I've gotten married, all of this. Well, here we hear Peter B. Parker. And I didn't realize the first time I watched it, the Peter Parker who died and this Peter Parker were A, different voice actors and B, their backstories are similar but not quite the same. Peter B. Parker, his back got broken, I guess like Batman had by Bane in the DC comics. This one's older. We're told Peter Parker had been Spider-Man for like 10 years. Peter B. Parker has been Spider-Man for 20-some years. 
And again, because we see his origin story here, this is what on the second viewing really told me. This is what Tobey Maguire became. Whereas our Chris Pine Spider-Man had Mary Jane upside down in that kiss and everything here, we don't get to see much of Peter B. Parker's backstory, but we do see that kiss for a fraction of a second, and it's Spider-Man who's upside down, and, and I do love how his origin story goes, that he had to get divorced, but he took it like a champ, and while we're hearing these positive, strong words, we see him hunched over, crying in the shower, wearing the full Spider-Man suit. This almost feels like Deadpool stuff. Yeah, all the stuff with Peter B. Parker eating pizza and out of shape. Saying he was doing ab crunches. Deadpool crossed my mind during that scene specifically. Yeah, the movie has lots of jokes. Like Lego Movie, they're going to throw a lot. I mean, I liked a little bit about he sold out and had a failed theme restaurant called TGI Spideys. <laughs> I mean, there's just, there's a lot there. If you want to soak on this, you'll be happy to get this, take it home and go frame by frame because I think it's that dense. And the actor for, we're calling him Peter B. Parker. I think all Peters have the middle name of Benjamin. I was thinking Ben Riley, the clone from the Clone Saga. Anyone that remembers that notorious storyline. Which has become a fan favorite. Just go figure. Yeah, nostalgia is a powerful drug. But uh, yeah, Peter's middle name has always been Ben. But this actor voicing him is Jake Johnson. Now, I know this isn't a good movie, but I like Let's Be Cops. It's funny to me. <laughs> That's your go-to for Jake Johnson? It is. Okay, he was on New Girl. He was recently in that Tom Cruise mummy movie. Safety Not Guaranteed is his best film. Jurassic World, he was a techie. I remember him in Jurassic World, and I thought, hey, it's the guy from Let's Be Cops. But he's always a minor character. He's a character actor. In Let's Be Cops, he was the lead. And I never got into the New Girl. I just know this guy is funny. He was also really good in Tag earlier this year. I, oh, that's right. He was in that. Yeah. I think he's able to bring the humor to this Peter Parker. And when they accidentally get in this chase, I enjoyed it so much more in context than I did at the end of Venom. A kid in a Spider-Man costume dragging a homeless corpse. If they could have gotten Ryan Reynolds, if he wasn't already tied up, this is what the equivalent feels like. It's the same thing. They are going for a Deadpool sensibility. That wry, middle-aged, self-commentating, deprecating. Yeah, the fact that he's wearing sweatpants for half the film. And I didn't realize the first time why that was. I thought he just had outgrown the bottoms of his outfit. Oh, I thought that's what it was. No, when he arrived in this dimension, he was in the full Spider-Man outfit. So it obviously fit, or he let it out a bit in the middle. But he's bouncing around Times Square where we get to see things that are just a little bit off. There's a poster for From Dusk Till Sean, I guess a sequel to Shaun of the Dead. There's the Red Man group instead of the Blue Man group. And as Peter's bouncing around in there and lands against a billboard, his suit rips off below the knees. He's lost whatever coverings he has. And so instead of wearing floods and shoes... Grab some sweats. Oh, okay. I thought it was all one onesie, but okay. There's multiple parts to it. Yeah, this intro scene where they're swinging around on an elevated train, we saw it at the end of Venom, and I was very impressed with the animation style. That was the first indication that I thought, oh, this movie might be more than just TV leftovers, but I wasn't certain about the humor. Here, I do think it's funnier in context yes. because it's breaking up tension. We've had this time to mourn a loss, and we felt a loss about traditional Peter Parker Spider-Man. We're ready to laugh, and so it's just easier to see a guy with a snowman head slung around and feel that humor yeah it just works so much better for me here and i'm into 
the style so much that I no longer mind how cartoony some of it is. The whole movie has proven to me we're not going to be this cartoony. So you can take these liberties and do it once in a while, and I'll go with it. Right. And this guy's very confident. He is certain that he can get it all right and that he will fix the... He calls it a goober. I love that, because what does it matter? Mm. You, know, you know, it's some USB thing that makes absolutely no sense. It's a goober. <laughs> Right. And part of the reason why it didn't work out with him and Mary Jane in his world was she wanted kids and he doesn't. Great that he's going to be partnered with Miles because now he's got a kid sidekick that he doesn't want. That's going to create some much needed humor and tension. His lessons disinfect the mask and use baby powder in the suit. You don't want to chafe. Yeah, I think this is a really fun pairing here. And I'm just so into this movie. We're 40 minutes in, and it's easily the best Spider-Man movie I've ever seen. Still got Raimi, but it's up there. I don't know why they went with John Parr's Man in Motion from St. Elmo's Fire to soundtrack them heading out to Hudson Valley and breaking into this lab, but... I noticed the first time we saw it that they're at that burger place because Peter Parker loves his food. I like how they avoid making actual fat jokes because this is going to be very inclusive, but yet they're going to keep referencing that Peter's let himself go a bit. I noticed when they were eating, I'm like, why are they playing Man in Motion? And then Miles is like, let's swing out to Hudson Valley. And Peter's like, no, let's take the bus after eating a heavy hamburger. Okay, so it's just an ironic thing that this man doesn't do as much motion as he claims he does in his mind. But Miles is trying to put a costume together. You know, he has the store-bought one. He's thinking about a cape. The Nikes. Nice cultural touch. I had no idea what a big deal it is to have these vintage sneaks or whatever. Till I moved to L.A. and found out how the Latino culture has embraced that. It's like a whole commodity, like these rare Jordans or what have you. Oh, my brother is a Nike collector. He owns hundreds of pairs of Nikes. Yeah, gets these exclusive edition ones. That's the thing he collects. I guess I'm just more plugged into the collector community because I knew Jordans. And one time I was in New York when they released the new Jordans, that line was longer than the line for Foam Party, the new coffee house in this movie. Yeah, I like that it makes this character distinct. I don't want him to lose him. I mean, normally I might go, well, that's a hoary product placement. No, that is a perfect cultural detail. And Miles is trying, but he's struggling. He's sticking to things. He doesn't know how to release and he's having to, you know, rely on his singing to relax himself, to ease in. And as they break into this lab, trying to get the mainframe that will have the same information that the goober did. And I do love the jokes here. Yeah, they turn that computer on finally and that desktop. <laughs> it looks like mine. <laughs> I didn't want to assume, Arnie, but I, I had a feeling. And I just know people at work. That is their desktop. And they come. They're like, hey, can you come help me with this file? And I walk over there. I'm like, I just shake my head. You got to clean that up, people. Organize your desktop, lady. That lady, they have cleverly stuck in here. We saw earlier at the high school a film strip where some scientist, Dr. Olivia, her last name was obscured. You wouldn't necessarily been able to guess where they're headed with this, but she was the first character character to introduce the idea of a multiverse when she comes busting in to see who is breaking up her lab i did not know that she was going to be female daca i didn't either i do like this movie is very inclusive and very diverse but a lot of times diversity can feel forced can feel preachy can feel like the scene where poe dameron is mansplaining to laura dern in <laughs> the last jedi but here Peter's outlining his plan, which includes the subtle detail of stealing a bagel. 
but he says he's going to find the head scientist. And Miles says, it's this woman we saw in physics class. He goes, step three, reevaluate my personal biases. I like that line. Yeah. <laughs> it's subtle, but funny. And the way that you had the stereotypical guy with glasses sitting there, but then Olivia walks past and she's actually an original character to this universe. I got confused. There was a female Doc Ock. Otto retired and his friend's daughter took up the tentacles for a while, but it was not Olivia Octavius. This character, this design, all original to this movie. And she is a badass in this. I didn't expect her to be so badass. Again, I really like the design in this film. The way her tentacles come out, they're not just like big metal tentacles that you can always see. They're almost like this silicone or something that could compress and go into this backpack that she wears. And then they, yeah, come jut out. And I think a lot of thought went into this design with a lot of these characters. Yeah, agreed. It's an imposing figure. Another fun chase. They run through the commissary and all the nerds are packing heat. They all got lasers. But you know why they're shooting? They say, he stole a bagel and then grabbed the guns. <laughs> well, I, I love that Peter finally tells Miles to drop the monitor because I was thinking that the whole time. I'm like, you don't need the monitor. You just need the CPU. <laughs> yeah, this thing's funny. And to me, it's funnier than Deadpool. It, it feels lighter. It doesn't have to go to the crass sexual tinge stuff. I feel like Deadpool goes lowest common denominator. Here, it's just casually funny. It references our, our world in ways that everyone understands. Children, adults. I mean, it's stuff that really observe like the desktop being messy and not needing the monitor that's just stuff in my real life that i have dealt with i didn't even think about him stealing the monitor which is a great way i mean why sit there and try to get the information just take the system assuming it's not just network data you need it's actually on the hard drive you see that desktop she doesn't put anything on the network <laughs> safer that way I guess as long as you have a good backup strategy, but I definitely found all of this to be very fun. But yeah, Doc Ock is ruthless. She's coming after them with her giant tentacles. And this is the first moment where Peter seems to really be interested in Miles. He gives him a web shooter and Miles can't web swing. He has no practice, so he's running on the ground. Peter picks him up and they web swing in tandem, but it's not enough. I appreciate that the training montage is just an action scene that we don't really get a training montage in this film. It's all done through the action. I just appreciate that. This is just another origin story, but they find clever ways to change it and hide it. So yeah, making Miles learn how to web swing during an action scene instead of just standing on a building, a nice little change of pace for me. Yeah, or having the person that's going to rescue them also be a female in white. Spider-Gwen, she looks a lot like Doc Ock when she comes in and saves her ass. My thought immediately was, of course, they don't want a man to punch a woman in a cartoon, so they'll pull in a woman to punch a woman. They've done this as far back as I can remember. The only person to hit Evil Lynn was Tila and things like that back in He-Man. It's a trope for cartoons since I've been watching them in the 70s and 80s. Tigra versus Wonder Woman and every Justice League versus Legion of Doom one. But no, this movie's going to move beyond that. Later on, they're going to have Spider-Man and Miles punching Octavia, too, because she can hold her own. She's a really formidable adversary who's hard to take out. But Spider-Gwen gets an amazing entrance here. Spider-Gwen's a comic that I read, and I just didn't like the comic. I didn't like the origin story. I thought it was just trite, and she wasn't well-written. Which I think is a minority opinion. She's a hugely popular character, I think. 
She is, but the people who like her, did they read the comic? <laughs> I honestly wondered that, because I like the design to a degree. I don't understand why you'd want to cut off your peripheral vision with a hoodie when you're fighting, but okay. Well, I think it's because she looks like kids today. The kids I see are wearing hoodies. They have the eyebrow piercing. They have this haircut, which came from the miles of ripping, <laughs> having to be razored out of that. But it works for her. She's got a very contemporary look. Yeah, I agree. She looks very hip. But superhero costume design needs to be stylish and functional. They work hard when they're creating new outfits for heroes and new hero designs. That's why you don't have Giorgio Armani or Donna Karen or Ralph Lauren designing superheroes because they would make it like this. They'd make it hip and ready for the runway, but it wouldn't be functional in regards to superhero. I think a superhero needs to be stylish and functional. And here, I know she probably has spider sense, so she doesn't need peripheral vision, but the hood has just always been a big problem for me, even though I think it looks cool. I like the eyebrow piercing. I don't know how many 15 or 16-year-olds have eyebrow piercings. You need to be 18 to get one of those, so she must have had her parents' permission. But that's not a touch from the comics. I certainly didn't see an eyebrow piercing in Marvel Rising but it does make her feel hip. I know a lot of millennials who have that shaved sides of the head and the long hair on top. She has a great look here and she just kicks ass. She came in, Peter B. Parker and Miles couldn't take out Octavia and Gwen seems to do it without breaking a sweat. Yeah, and when we get her backstory, she wasn't a band in the comic, right? Yes. Yeah, because I remember there was some girl band that actually took some of those songs and did versions of them dressed as Spider-Gwen. They're very good. And her Uncle Ben is Peter Parker. It was her best friend that died that gave her the impetus to become this Spider-Woman. It's telling because Spider-Man couldn't save Gwen. Gwen couldn't save Peter Parker when she's the Spider-Man. Mm -hmm. But yeah, she did save her dad, who was a cop. Because remember, Police Chief Stacy, Dennis Leary from Andrew Garfield movies. Vague, vague memories, aren't <laughs> And it should be said, Arnie, in your plot summary, maybe it was just because it was a summary, you said these spider people came from that beginning fight. I had to summarize it somehow. I couldn't list every damn detail. This is a dense movie. It is. So we should call out that these Spider-Men have been coming. Every time Fisk has turned on that collider, it seems like one or two more Spider-Men come through. We'll catch up with a few more that have been around for a while, it seems. I think they all came at once during the fight with Spider-Man and the Goblin, because during that fight, the Goblin dunked Spider-Man's head in the stream, and we right. got to see him, like, bubble and things, and later on, trying to get his wife and son back, Fisk is going to put their DNA in there, so I think he called the Spider-People. But Gwen was already at the school. Yeah, I think she was the maybe the first one to get through before this story is seen. What she says is she was knocked literally into last week. So it happened at that time, but she also went back in time seven days. Oh, okay. Oh, fair enough. Let's talk about Kingpin. This is where we kind of find out his backstory as well. It's a little surprising. You wouldn't think someone so enormous and imposing would have such a sentimental side. No, this is standard for the character from the stuff I've read. I mean, there is a Punisher Max series where, yeah, it really explored Kingpin's relationship with his wife and how tragic it was and how that related to the Punisher. And even in the Netflix show, that was a big thing, his relationship. So he's got a, a human side. 
I think I credit this with Frank Miller for really fleshing out the character. I'm not sure if he was the first one to do it, but when he got into Daredevil, he had a lot more going on. It's just rare in a cartoon to see a bad guy who's this bad. He killed Spider-Man. He's the big bad. Goblin couldn't do it. Did you guys notice Goblin also died in the whole fight? I just noticed he disappeared. I kept waiting for him to come back. There is a higher quotient of death in this movie than I would have assumed. But with Kingpin being such a monster looking character and such a violent character that he really just wants his wife and son back who he lost through his own violence they walked in wife vanessa and son richard and they saw wilson fisk kingpin about to kill that dimension spider-man they were horrified didn't want to see this they raced away got in a car and their excessive driving got them hit and killed he wants to steal his wife and child back from the multiverse he wants to bring them back and that is truthfully very sad it shows a sentimental side to him it also shows how you know we've always talked about the marvel cinematic universe villain problem where they always seem kind of generic here yeah you just humanize the villain a little bit and it just makes them much more interesting the fact that Fisk is doing this all just to get his wife and kid back, look, is it worth destroying the world for? Mm, probably not, but it makes him human. It makes me a little bit more sympathetic. And it ties into the larger themes that people are having with their father figures. I don't know how cleanly, but at least it's an effort. I appreciate that there is a parallel to draw between Miles and Kingpin, and that they're going to get the final fight feels right. But first, we need to see Aunt May. This makes sense. I feel to go to Aunt May's house. I wasn't sure how they'd play it. Is there any version of Aunt May that is microchip? <laughs> like, talking about the guy who gives the Punisher all his tech? Is this a version of Aunt May in the comic? Not this deep. Not where she's manufacturing the web shooters and things. I mean, she's like Alfred Pennyworth at this point. Yeah, this was a funny scene. And again, just to reiterate, this is where we know that the Peter Parker from this universe is no way Tobey Maguire. Tobey Maguire was hapless and poor and needed to pay good rent. This Peter Parker is one part Iron Man, one part Batman, and two parts Spider-Man. Because they go down to what I called the Spider Cave, and where Iron Man has the Hall of Armor with all his suits, Spider-Man has all of his suits, and there's the funny moment where one has a cape, and Miles had wanted a cape, and Peter B. Parker was like, Spider-Man doesn't wear capes, and Miles is like, I think this is a cape. Forget all those suits, we get a spider buggy in this scene. <laughs> yeah, and a spider cycle, the new suit. Spider-Man's having a renaissance right now between this comic and the PlayStation 4 game, which is just incredible. They had a new suit for that game. It's in one of these pods down here too. Yeah, and not only that, but he's going to meet other spiders that have come through here. I gotta say, I racked my brain. I spent like 24 hours. I'm like, can I think of a better one? No, this is the best superhero team I've ever seen. <laughs> the Avengers. I agree. This is incredible. When you got Noir and Spider-Ham and Penny Parker and her robot, I am in love. I am in love with these characters. Yeah, I didn't know Penny Parker was from the comics until I did some research after seeing this. I just assumed that was a reference to the Japanese Spider-Man TV show where he had a giant robot. It kind of was, but she was created during Spider-Verse at the same time as Spider-Gwen. So she's a newer character, too, from the future. And yeah, as I mentioned earlier, each of these characters has their own animation style. Can I just petition Nick Cage to be in every animated superhero <laughs> movie forever? He was in Teen Titans as Superman. I'm sure he'd love to. And here, he's great. Nick Cage, 
He's rarely great anymore, but his voice delivery, he's doing this like hard-boiled detective thing. I love like later on, he is obsessed with the Rubik's Cube because it's in color. <laughs> That's the biggest laugh of the movie, the fact that he can't figure it out and he's going to take it back to 1933. He's like, is this purple? He doesn't even know what colors are. They are so individually cool that I would love a movie for each of them. But when they come together, you know what? They work and they don't rely on what every other team does, which is the bicker. Normally, it's all about one-upsmanship and who's tougher. These people are happy to work together. This is a terrific, again, the best example in movies of a superhero team I can think of. Oh, you, I didn't expect that, but you're right. This team works well. It's not the best representation because I feel that my... Miles is clearly the star. Peter B. Parker is the co-star. Spider-Gwen is the featured player. And the rest don't get their own arcs. I mean, in the Avengers, every single character had their moment to shine. Every character, down to Hawkeye, had their own arcs and transformations in the film. But here... I can't decide. Would it be too much of a good thing to have more noir? Because noir's my favorite. But Spider-Ham, I wondered how that would work. But I knew coming in Spider-Ham would be a great thing for me. I've loved Spider-Ham since he was just at the back of Amazing Spider-Man comics in the 70s. I never found him to be cheesy the way I find a lot of those animal things to be. Because I think Stan Lee did some of the writing himself and made it smart. And Spider-Ham here... Every time he has a line is funny. It's like, can you float through the air when you smell a delicious pie? Yeah. And that's the thing. I kind of went into this very cynical. Like, this is Sony. It's all about selling products. And so, yeah, let's spin this off. And we'll get our Spider-Ham cartoon movie and our Spider-Man noir. I don't know if I'd want individual ones. I like how they work together here. I like how you could have your grim and gritty noir Spider-Man bouncing off a cartoon pig Spider-Man. Yeah, they're equally impressive. I like Penny, too, and that robot. So I thought I heard that the robot got bit by the spider, or is the spider in the mech? The spider's in the mech, and she has a psychic link to the spider. I love it. It's so Japanese and wonderful. It's just great. It makes me wonder later on why they're crying over the mech. The spider's fine. Just build a new mech. <laughs> yeah, that's right. She does have a spider with her when she finally leaves. That explains it. Okay. But yeah, Noir, when they're talking about who died, Peter's like, it was my Uncle Ben and Noir. It was my Uncle Benjamin. <laughs> it's just, this team is great because they're all the same person in a way, but again, they're all unique, and every animator gave them something to do always. None of them are just standing around. Even when Penny's just piloting the thing, she's eating candy. and. But Miles is the most important because he is of this world, and they are all glitching. They feel like they aren't up to 100%, and so they're hoping that he can be the one to take the goober, if they fix the goober. Well, I guess they have because they've gotten the mainframe. They can put the information, whatever it is, he can be the one to stick the device into the collider and send them back and no one has to stay behind except Miles's powers are erratic. Yes, he proved that he could turn invisible. Yes, one time he shocked someone into unconsciousness, but he can't do it on command. That's a loose cannon to take into battle. But they're ready to. I mean, when they all get together at Aunt May's house, they're like, okay, this is what we're doing. This is where we're going. And they still do that after this fight. There's a major fight where they tear up Aunt May's house and we're introduced to, we'd seen Tombstone earlier. I think his name's only mentioned once, a white-skinned dude who- He's an albino African-American in the comics. 
I don't know if anyone who hasn't read the comics would understand what Tombstone is, but he's a heavy there. He looks like Solomon Grundy. Yeah, I kept thinking of that. I had to look up his name because I'm like, that's Solomon Grundy, but that's a DC character. There's also a Spanish-speaking Scorpion. Again, everyone's cool here. I like all of the little bit players that come back there. They're coming to Aunt May's house because Miles ran away to try and find his uncle, the only man that has ever understood him and that accepts him for who he is. This is also where we're learning, oh, my uncle is the Prowler. And I think that's a really tense scene. We see Miles go to his uncle's house to write him a note saying, hey, I'm in trouble. And then the Prowler shows up. And yeah, this is one time Miles can go invisible. But I think this is a really tense scene with the Prowler looking around and sensing someone there. And then, yeah, that reveal, it got me. I knew it was coming and I knew it when they were in his apartment. But I did really like the chase again where he has like predator vision. He can go through all these different modes, Prowler can, and sees that this invisible person is running and yeah it seems like they pair up well you know penny with her sp slash dr is fighting scorpion who has like mech legs yeah robotic legs now (laughs) and you get spider-man noir going up against tombstone and miles is with prowler and a kid in front of me goes why doesn't he just say uncle aaron it's me (laughs) Yeah, he does. He pulls up his mask eventually when he's pinned down in the roof. Again, I think there's a shame with what he's become. And certainly now that he knows that this is an enemy, his uncle is someone that for other reasons would have him destroyed. His only hope is to expose that, hey, I'm your nephew. Please don't kill me. And because the guy blinks, Kingpin pulls out the gun. Yeah, he just shoots him because he won't deliver that death punch to Spider-Man. And mm-hmm. here's the thing, because this is, is this PG or is this PG-13? PG. Mm. Okay, yeah, because there's no blood. So I, I'm like, did Prowler really get shot? Like when he's lying in the alley later, I'm like, I don't see any blood. The suit's got to be bulletproof, right? He's not really going to die. It's hard to tell at times with the deaths here because they won't show him because of the rating. This is a voice performance given by Mahershala Ali, who just won an Oscar for Moonlight. He's in Green Book. He's having a real renaissance. He'll be in the new season of True Detective. Someone I really like seeing at the movies. He just comes through, like all the characters. I don't want to just single him out. But all the voice actors really just come through in their characters. It is a moving moment. You feel it in the way that you would a live action death. And there's no blood, but it feels very violent and hurtful to have this kid lose what's his father figure here in the alley. And then his father to arrive and to blame Spider-Man for the death. Out of the comics, I think, you know, here it's done in such shorthand. The comics really are good at making Aaron a conflicted character. And he had been in trouble as a kid. And there's one line here where Jefferson says, you don't want to end up like your uncle, do you? And Miles has been kept in the dark. What What's wrong with Uncle Aaron? But his father, the cop, knows that his brother is a criminal. Don't know if he knows he's the prowler, but... No, I would suspect not. But, you know, he used to go that way too. It was Aaron who pointed out that your father and I used to go graffitiing together. I mean, I think that the dad had a wild side and then he took the straight path. The uncle took the other path path and here we are but you can't be spider-man without somebody dying in your arms and here it is the uncle and the father sees it and not much is made again it's a long movie we don't need more subplots but the father never seems shocked that hey what's my brother doing in a super suit yeah i thought that was going to play more of a part but it goes by the wayside 
Yeah, I mean, think about James Franco in that Spider-Man movie, though. He never got that upset that his dad was Green Goblin. It was more... Well, it's James Franco. He maybe was <laughs> acting really upset. We just couldn't tell. Yeah. Well, it happened between movies. He was shocked at the end of part one, and by part two, it had settled in. But yeah. At any rate, what he really wants to do is bring his family together, that he's going to go to the dorm room to try and talk to his son, not knowing that his son is Spider-Man and that all of those Spider-People have shocked his roommate into... Uh, fainting <laughs> yeah it's at this point that the other spider men and women have not rejected him but they said you can't control your power so we're gonna have to go do this on our own one of us will have to stay behind and die thanks but no thanks i got the impression that this was a final test the fact that peter says all right you want to come with us go invisible right now so you can get past me or tase me and you see outside Noir and Gwen just kind of are sad because he can't. I think they had hope that at this last moment when the chips were down, Miles would be able to prove himself and he can't. And so the only way to do it is to web him up and steal the goober. Right. Partly they want to see this kid come into his own as a power, but also someone is required to stay behind. And because Miles can't do this, it's going to be for Peter B. Parker to stay behind, glitch out, and probably break up into pick. So you can't stay too long in a universe that isn't your own. And so he's going to die. We think that this is a self-sacrifice. I think it's interesting later we realize he's actually avoiding his own universe. He's afraid to go back and try to patch things up with Mary Jane. He's trying to do everything he can to avoid that and to stay away. I took it as honestly a choice for suicide. Like his apathy, he knows somebody has to stay behind and every Spider-Man, every single one who wants to stay behind, I'll do it. But he's the one who has nothing to go back to right. except pizza and depression. Mm -hmm. And so this to me, I felt this was a really emotional depth for the supporting character. He's the only one who I feel has a real arc here. He's ready to die. His life has gone so poorly that he is ready to just give up. He'll sacrifice himself and be happier for for it than he is crying in the shower with a pizza. The emotional levels of this movie are really unexpected. You would not expect that in any Spider-Man movie, particularly a Sony keep the rights grab animated film. <laughs> what really impressed me was, again, trying to take the Spider-Man tropes, because this film's all about like what makes a Spider-Man across the multiverse. But I feel like one of the things, and they call it out in here, is Spider-Man always has tragedy. He always loses someone. But what I liked about this moment in the dorm room when Miles' dad is talking to him through the door having that moment is that's what empowers Miles. That's what gives him the strength to break free of the webs and control his powers. It, it wasn't the death of someone. It was the love of his father. So again, just nice little twist here and there. Very emotional, a new way to frame this superhero. Well, you realize the thing that was holding him back was the father's disapproval of Spider-Man. He said it and would keep saying it when there would be news reports about the Chris Pine Spider-Man. Oh, I don't like him. He's stepping on police work. He's a vigilante. And that weighed on Miles because, you know, he is this character now. What can you do? By the father saying, whatever you choose to do, you'll be great. That was what he needed to hear to say, okay, then I can be a great Spider-Man and I can use this electrical power to break through my webbing and to jump into this climax. I had to pay attention the second time because his mouth is obviously webbed up. That's why he can't speak back to his father and his father takes that as you're not talking to me still. But I was like, well, the second time, what happened to the webbing on the mouth? I understand his hands send out a taser and he's able to break 
break his chains there but yeah it just it comes off the mouth too i guess his whole body electrified and he's now ready to go and goes back to aunt may who this is where yeah she's completely <laughs> q yeah gives him the web slingers he takes one of those suits again i love that they've set up this motif that miles is into graffiti and so what is he going to do for his spider-man outfit he's going to spray paint and he's going to make it his own the way he makes things his own and they did change the design. The regular Miles Morales Spider logo is a red on a black suit, but it's very angular. Here, they've made it graffiti. They put the circle around it. So it is unique in that way and really goes to the graffiti. The graffiti thing wasn't in the comics. So here, this makes more sense. And one little detail I love is the first time they were in the spider cave, he looks at the iconic Spider-Man suit and you see his reflection and it's in the neck. You know, he's just not living up to Spider-Man. Now, when he comes back, you see the reflection and he's in the face. His eyes are in the eyes. So that becomes his. His suit to paint and he gets web shooters that fit his wrists from Aunt May and he goes off and is a web swinging master. He now has moves like all the spiders are gonna be like, did you teach him that? And I didn't teach him that. And I know Peter B. Parker didn't teach him that. Yeah, again, the animation is beautiful when he's going through the city and there's that scene where I don't know, he's like upside down, but, you know, totally vertical. He's falling. He's letting himself free fall. Yeah. But they do it inverted, so he's falling up. Yeah, it looks so beautiful. Oh, that shot the second time in 2D, I really appreciated just how gorgeous it was. And how it's not just pretty. It follows the metaphor of his ascension. Even though he's going towards the street, we want to see him rise, and we see that there. Yeah, it's, it is beautiful. The whole movie really is tremendous looking. Meanwhile, ironically, the other team is dressing down. They're putting on bow ties. <laughs> They're trying to break into Fist Tower. I love this joke. It can't be that easy, can it? <laughs> He's having a party for Spider-Man, his good friend. I don't know why bad guys always have galas at the time when they're going to do their big plan. It makes absolutely no sense for Kingpin to host a Spider-Man dinner on the night the Collider's going to go off. But he does that, and nobody even notices noir Spider-Man doesn't look like <laughs> the other Spider-Man. How do they explain a pig Spider-Man walking around with a bow tie? They just want their bread. The real wait staff <laughs> is not delivering the bread, and so Mary Jane's got to get it up and we have this great scene in which Peter B. Parker is telling Mary Jane everything that he wants to from his universe and she's like, uh, yeah I just, we're hungry. Yeah he's like, I really should have been able to give you a bread. You know, he's ready now. He, he, even though he's still he's facing death and I think that makes a big change there is that this is a dying declaration. Mary Jane I should have been there for you. You know, it's basically a verbal suicide note and Gwen has to get in between and be like you know we have a mission here don't take her the bread she's not getting any bread ever right they're firing up the collider it's been in indicated that this is going to be the blast to take out all of Brooklyn we're all going to be sucked into a black hole because of this and indeed we see buildings glitching we, we don't know much about Miles's mother other than she's a nurse but we see uh, she's at the hospital and it starts glitching and the 
police precinct is glitching. The whole city is going to die because Kingpin needs to have his family back. Yeah, it's pulling in all these other dimensions as it's going. And yeah, you'll see like a skyscraper, like sprout five different skyscrapers, all at different angles. It is really gorgeous. I wish I had LSD for this final fight. This, oh man, what a trip. They said that they intentionally referenced Jack Kirby art and Kirby's going to be thanked in the end credits. Yeah, Kirby Crackle. They were really going for that, even though Kirby wasn't, you know, the creator of Spider-Man, that was Ditko. But Kirby influenced so much of the Marvel Universe, and here, with all this psychedelia going on, it is just an amazing visual. I mean, at one point, we'll see all these different colored webs. It's just zooming through. I'm like, oh, they're just doing 2001 at this point. Yeah, it feels like a kaleidoscope. You know, if you know the toy, you you turn the iris, and it just has that way through mirrors of making things you recognize fragment, break off, become beautiful patterns. You know, other movies have tried to do this. Doctor Strange had something, I suppose, similar, but it it's never looked better than it has here. I read this as each of those webs was another Spider-Man in another dimension. Although it also reminded me just of like a transition scene from the Spider-Man cartoon where like between <laughs> when they're just cutting, they would have a little spider floaty thing. It reminded me of that. So I, I think it could be both at once. I, they're referencing so much minutia. I won't take that away from it. Right. But the plot is that they have a strand of Fisk's wife and child's DNA and that could search for them in the multiverse and bring back some kind of version of them. I mean, I'm not trying to get too scientific here. It's over my head. I'll just pretend that they know more than I do. And there's a lot of action going on. I mean, they bring back Scorpion and Tombstone and Doc Ock. They're all fighting inside this machine. And Penny does lose her mech here. Scorpion destroys it, and that's played for a little tear as it frowns and goes offline. But, you know, it's followed very quickly by a laugh as Spider-Ham drops an anvil (laughs) on Scorpion's head. Like, Spider-Ham is missing only the Acme labels, but he's pulling every trick out of Wile E. Coyote's playbook, dropping the anvil, and when Scorpion, speaking English... Asks if he's some kind of cartoon. He pulls out the mallet from somewhere and just beats the crap out of Scorpion. But my favorite thing is you've got all these spider people. And after Scorpion and Tombstone are kind of waylaid, they're all fighting Doc Ock. And Gwen gets a punch. Miles gets a punch. Peter gets a punch. Gwen and Miles together punch her. And she's still standing. And finally Gwen's like, this could take a while. And we think we're in for a big fight. And then she gets hit by a bus. <laughs> flies away. We never see her again. That has gotten a huge laugh from me both times. We're also seeing the heroes disappear and going back into the world. You gotta love Spider-Ham's exit. Is it legal that he <laughs> says that that's all, folks? And they even call it out. Is he allowed to say that legally? Yeah, I love that he gives a cartoon hammer. It will fit in your pocket. Mm-hmm. And Spider-Man Noir, I'm gonna take this cube with me i don't know what it is but i will (laughs) nick cage is great in this i don't think i've liked him this much since kick-ass this is what he likes he always wants to be a superhero let him be a voice in all these cartoons certainly it fulfills everyone's wish and all that is left even peter b parker he, he has to take that leap of faith he has to go back 
and he still doesn't want to. Miles is there. He's still not ready to go back. He doesn't want to face his failures and try to rebuild. He would rather die. And so the way he did a sweeping leg kick to disable Miles in Miles' dorm, Miles is going to do the same to him. Miles is going to drop him into the thing. And of course, he could have webbed himself out if he, but they have to have that conversation where Miles gives him the confidence to go back and face his problems with Mary Jane and his own fitness and everything instead of just taking an easier path of suicide. This movie's addressing suicide. That's mind-blowing. Or at least midlife crisis. Yeah, depression. <laughs> yeah, I mean, again, purpose. You know, they have a similar problem in that they're both drifting through life without a sense of who they are or what they want to do. And that can happen at all ages. That can happen when you're a high school teenager. That can happen when you're 38 years old. Do they ever address how Miles' dad gets there? He shows up. He's, like, in the control room watching Miles as Spider-Man fight the kingpin and this is where we see his dad make that transition to become a at least like spider-man he, he's not actively going after him at this point he doesn't want to see another spider-man die and we think it could happen because kingpin it just he delivers that blow again that punch man but miles does the spider-man thing like i always remember that spider-man cover i don't remember the issue but he's got like all the debris on him and the water running down on him and he just he pushes it up like that is the spider-man thing he always gets up yeah, this is a better Spider-Man than Chris Pines. He can take a heavier punch, and he's learned from his family. It, Uncle Aaron did teach him a move. It was supposed to pick up girls, but it's also good for <laughs> taking out supervillains. You put the hand on the shoulder, and bam. I love that he just does the, hey. <laughs> that always gets a laugh. And I knew they couldn't kill Miles, but when the Kingpin hits him, I'm like... That did kill Peter, but Peter also had some big equipment land on him and was coughing and probably had internal bleeding to begin with. But yeah, that Miles has to stand up. And that was the big thing when they first met him. Even Spider-Ham got a hit in on Miles and was like, can you get up? And he couldn't hear he does. And yeah, so the fight with Kingpin was the, certainly the longest. It's not what I expected. I expected his henchmen to have bigger fights, but this was deserved. And Miles is going to leave him not dead, but strung up for the cops from the friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. Yeah, and you ask why is Jeff here? It's an act of convenience, but we wanted to see this emotional bridge. We wanted to see how is Miles going to handle this duality. He comes to him in costume and says, I love you. The dad should be able to figure it out. He knows. He's got to know. I'm not sure. They could play it either way, depending on how they want to write the next one. He certainly tells his roommate. The roommate already knew they were on the ceiling. There are people in Miles' life that are going to know who he is and what he's capable of, but he is not unmasked to the world. I do love his deep voice he affects with his dad. Officer, I look forward to working with you. And it made me think, you know, when you read a comic or even a book, but especially a comic, you don't think about the voice so much. You don't think about the voice changing or affecting a voice to sound like a different character. In a book, they may say, you know, he pitched his voice lower. So at least, you know, in a comic, they don't really do that. You'd have to have another character saying, why'd you lower your voice? But here, hearing him do that, 
But then he goes back to kind of his normal voice when he's addressing the crowd that's cheering him. And he's still not completely there. He wants to stand on the side of a wall to show off and slips and hops back up. Yeah, that was part of the move. You know, and why unmask when anyone can be Spider-Man? At the end of the day, someone from that crowd could be next. You know, that is the message they want to leave you with. Miles is cool. You could be just as cool. That's a very populist sentiment that, again, has the risk of devaluing your character. You could say, well, that cheapens what I love. But I, I think in this instance, they're able to sell it for what they want it to be, which is a message of empowerment. The way I took it, there's this classic, I think it's a Silver Age Superman comic where he uses his heat vision to carve into the moon. Any man could be a Superman as long as you do good or something like that. And that's what I take away. We're not all going to have a Venom strike and be able to turn invisible or have web shooters, but the core of what Spider-Man is, he helps people. He's a good guy. And anybody could do good. And I thought that would be the end note, but no, a portal opens. Gwen is back. You know, they kind of had this romantic flirtation definitely in the school. And then when she's about to say goodbye, I wonder, are they going to have a kiss? And she's like, I'm 15 months older than you. And that's a lot right now. And they end up just shaking hands and saying friends. Yeah, which is a big deal because she didn't want friends because she lost the Peter Parker in her world who was a friend. But she comes back. You hear her voice asking him if he's got a minute and has a dimensional portal open so they leave that tease right open for a sequel yeah well, i mean there's no doubt they're all coming back and the credits i loved the very first spider-man telling his origin story and he's like i have a theme song and they play the 60s yeah. theme song <laughs> i have a so-so popsicle which was a real popsicle that was real yes and he has a christmas album and i saw this clip online i immediately searched i'm like spider-man has a christmas album i wanted to hear that he didn't but here in the end credits we get to hear chris pine singing jingle bells the spider-man version that ends with why did i agree to sing this song i have a degree in chemical engineering <laughs> yes yeah that got a laugh and the beginning of the very long closing credits is you have this dancing spider-man i don't know if you're familiar with the animated gif of dancing spider-man i just took it as a reference to that and again i wish i had some lsd like it's such a trippy end closing credit scene yeah a bicycle built for 12 and for some reason spider ham's on the spit for a point but <laughs> yes and then they switch it and peter parker spider-man's on the spit yeah did you guys notice in the end where it shows all the Spider-Men are doing okay? Spider-Ham's eating a hot dog. Isn't that cannibalism? Yes, that's the joke. You know, you never know what's in those things. Like maybe he's kosher. Maybe it's a beef hot dog. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm with the movie all the way until the last scene. And then I must confess, they've kept up the tradition of leaving me with a, huh? I don't know anything about Nueva, New York and this Miguel. You don't know the 2099 universe? Welcome to my groove. Of all the Spider-Men. You like 2099? Oh, man, that was when I was buying comics, Jacob, in the early 90s. I get it. I was a huge Punisher fan. I hated Punisher 2099. It is bizarre. The 2099 universe was something Marvel tried. You know, they kept trying all these things. They'd have pocket universes. And here they had this 2099 universe, which was the future. And it started with Spider-Man 2099. Now, it was written by Peter David, one of my favorite writers, both of prose and of comics and so i think that helped and i didn't even know his name back then but i know his style and they did a hulk 2099 x-men 2099 and it was just the future and yeah it was nueva york he's miguel o'hara so uh irish hispanic mix 
And he had such a kick-ass blue suit with a harsh red spider skull on it and this VR AI that was in the comics long before we'd ever heard of Siri and Alexa. And they make so few Spider-Man 2099 collectibles that when they make one, I am so excited. <laughs> and so to see Miguel O'Hara, voiced by Oscar Isaacs, is coming into this, I'm like, jazz. They're going to bring 2099 into the next movie. It can't come soon enough. He's got some way, I guess, to just jump to whatever multiverse he wants. I don't care about that. I like the joke because the entire time I'm like, they got to have the Spider-Man meme of Spider-Man pointing at himself and we finally get it here. Going back to, what is it? Spider-Man 67? Uh-huh. And I didn't get, he's like, let me go back to the beginning. 1967. I'm like, is that the cartoon year? Because I don't remember that year. And yep. <laughs> I'm as confused as J. Jonah Jameson. I didn't know this was a meme. I had no idea. Yeah, it's a meme. I thought it was an older meme, but I guess it just really took off in 2017. Look up Spider-Man pointing meme. It's two people that think they have a different argument, but they're making the same point. And then you put this picture there. Okay. I think there was the chameleon is what it was in the comics. So like a good Spider-Man is fighting bad Spider-Man. And what I read was the voice of J. Jonah Jameson because the cops like, who pointed first? <laughs> and J. Joma Jameson says, Spider-Man, obviously. Yeah. yeah. I heard that was Stan Lee. And like his dream was he always wanted to be J. Jonah Jameson. And he never got a chance to play that role. And so here through voice, he was able to do that. And that also was really cool. But yeah, it is just so hysterical that they animated in this 1967 style. I think they just inserted the 2099 outfit over the 67 cartoon. Yeah, if you watched like Adult Swim when they used to do Harvey Birdman and Space Ghost and they just repurposed this old animation. Yeah, I think they took that original stuff and just, yeah, put a new skin on it. But I knew that pointing meme and just... Oh, I'm like, this is not going to get a recommend if they don't reference the pointing meme. Well, let's see if it gets a recommend because they did. Jacob Stewart, do you recommend Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse? Jacob. You know, I went into this admiring the art style, but I had a lot of cynicism just because it was Sony and we're going to introduce all these Spider-Men and oh, this is going to spin off to this and this and this and all commercialism. Ugh. And Sony might still do that, but I'm not going to hold that against this film because this film is actually really good. There's some emotional beats there. I love this team. I don't know if I want just a Miles Morales solo Spider-Man film. I do want to see this team come back together because it's a lot of fun. I like the humor here. It just worked better than the Lego movie. That wore me out and here I felt it was paced better. It was more sophisticated humor because it wasn't always just for children. So all that stuff surprised me. That decent story, good emotional arcs. But again, the standout thing for me here is is the art style. As someone that aspired to be an artist and loves art and our patrons will hear about it with The Nightmare Before Christmas. That's something I love about that film is just the style. And here, for a CGI film, I feel like finally CGI has fulfilled its destiny and just done things that couldn't be done before with the mixed media and the way like frame transitions sometimes will look like comic book pages being turned around and just the comic book aesthetic that they're able to bring. You know, Ang Lee tried to do it with the Hulk, but it, it's been done here. Like at one point, the Scorpion who speaks in Spanish, and I don't know if you notice the little pop up, it has the asterisk next to him, and it's like translated from Spanish, and it has what he's saying, like at the bottom of the screen. That they do.
do that in comics all the time. And whenever you see bracketed dialogue, that means they're speaking in some other language. So just a lot of little great nods like that. And again, just visually, this is such a beautiful film and it's great that it has a story. It's not all just visual. It's not all just style. There is substance to this. Is this the best Spider-Man film? I'd have to go back to that first Tobey Maguire one. That one won me over because I'm not a Spider-Man fan. And I remember, wow, I actually like that film a lot. I'd have to watch that one again and see how it holds up. But I can say this is up there. It's either tied or first or second. Like it it is up there as one of the best Spider-Man films. So yeah, strong recommend for Into the Spider-Verse. Stuart, you're thinking too small, Jacob. This is one of the best superhero movies I've ever seen. It deserves to be top 10. It's not going to be one of my favorites because it's not as weighty. You know, the ones I tend to gravitate the most, like Dark Knight, are the ones that take on real world issues and really dig in and find corollaries between what we're going through. This one has its own universe and it's populated with splendid, amazing, I'll use the word, three-dimensional characters that work well individually. They work well together. Yeah, they're surrounded by these sumptuous urban landscapes. The multiculturalism is a juice that gives this a whole new energy. And I'm just so impressed with this movie, in part because I had no expectations. And I think anyone will just be blown away with what they've been able to do here. Honestly, I would rather see the sequel to this than Endgame. I mean, I'm more into this team. I'm more into where they could go in this Spider-Verse than I've been. And that's saying something a lot now that we've covered well over a hundred comic book movies. This is a genre well played out. Anytime you can have a movie that gives it new juice, be it Wonder Woman, Black Panther, it's always great to have that. But this is one of the best. I can't believe it's one of my favorite films of the year and one of the best superhero movies I've ever seen. There was a video game that I really liked called Spider-Man Shattered Dimensions, where you got to play four versions of Spider-Man, but they were all in their own dimensions, but they were communicating and working for the same goal to stop something from destroying the multiverse. And you got to play Spider-Man Noir, Ultimate Peter Parker Spider-Man. This was before there was a Miles Morales, the regular Peter Parker Spider-Man and Spider-Man 2099. And I loved that game and the variations of Spider-Man and how they played off each other. And I thought that was as good as it could get because I thought Spider-Verse, the comics, were a little bit overstuffed and too focused on things that weren't of interest to me. I was wrong. Spider-Man Shattered Dimensions, if you like this movie, is a game I'll highly recommend. But this does it even better. We get to see all of the Spider-People together. But yes, this is a Miles Morales origin story. I'm sick of origin stories. There have been too many origin stories. I am so unenthused for Captain Marvel. I want to like the movie, but it feels almost like a throwback, as did Doctor Strange, as did Ant-Man 1. It's like, we've been there. We need to do something different. This is a totally different origin story. I can't believe I got to see an origin story that follows all the beats of it. Here's how I got my powers. Here's where I'm not confident with my powers. Here's where I become heroic at the end. But because of all the other spider people and the fact that he's becoming his character, character with a spider team it avoids the banality of the origin story it's the best origin story i've seen in a hell of a long time 
Again, all the more difficult to do in this day and age, where superheroes are everywhere and have been for a decade. This has some of the best writing I've seen in a movie, let alone a superhero movie, in a while. It's the first superhero movie, sorry Marvel Studios, but this is the first one to really change things up a bit and make it feel different. So yeah, I really like this movie. Is it my favorite Spider-Man movie? No. I think both of Raimi's are going to be ones I return to more than this because I think I still am not overall an animation guy. What's impressive is I love this film in spite of animation. How can you not love the animation here? Are you... Oh, I do love the animation here. Oh, okay. But I don't love animation in general. You know, it's kind of like country music. I like some Garth Brooks songs a lot, but I don't like country music. So the fact that I like some Garth Brooks in spite of that says how good it is. So the fact that I like this in spite of not really getting into animation is a testament to how good it is and how well it's written. But I don't see this as something that I'll turn on all the time the way I do the Raimi flicks. But my real question is, and I'd have to give this a lot of thought, but I think the answer is yes. I think this is my favorite animated movie of all time. I need time for this to settle, but I've given it a lot of thought of animated movies I've legitimately liked. Toy Story 1, Aladdin, Lion King. I think this is my favorite animated film, and it's because it's doing totally new things with animation. It's a really, really strong recommend. It's a really good movie. It's forward thinking in the way that it visually presents the ideas, and it's also in love with every iteration of Spider-Man we've ever seen. So if you're nostalgic or you want to see something new, you get both. Do you think that maybe Peter B. Parker, in addition to the TGI Spideys, maybe was the Spider-Man from Turn Off the Dark? Do you think Swiss Miss was over there? That's why he's depressed. <laughs> they would have learned. You know what? Swiss Miss might have been here. I blinked a few times, so who can say? <laughs> he broke his back. I wondered if it was from a bad stage effect. <laughs> But we will see sequels. They had a lot of confidence in this movie before it came out. Now, it's come out to near universal acclaim. Golden Globe nomination, Guillermo del Toro came out and said, this deserves to win the Oscar for animated film. It's better than Incredibles 2, but I think the politics are such that Incredibles 2 will win. It does something new. You have never seen animation like this. It's got to win just for that. It's best animated film. The animation should play a in it. I agree. I definitely think it was better than Wreck-It Ralph 2, better than Incredibles 2. The Isle of Dogs, all the animated movies I saw this year, this is the most impressive. But what they're planning is a sequel to this and several spinoffs. Now, the spinoff that they've announced would be a Spider-Gwen film or a Spider-Women film. They've talked in the live-action films about having Silk, who is one of the Spider-Women, get her own movie or team up with a black cat or something. So it sounds like they're going to take several of the Spider-Women from different dimensions and have them team up with Spider-Gwen. That would be very cool because this movie made me love Spider-Gwen, something the comics have failed to do. They've also talked about a direct sequel and Lord and Miller both expressed interest in seeing a series of shorts starring Spider-Ham, which I would be so for is if every time we went to a Sony animated, I would go see every Sony animated movie. I don't care what it is. I don't know if they did. Did they do Secret Life of Pets? I'd go to theaters to see Secret Life of Pets 2 if there was an animated Spider-Ham short at the beginning. Okay, well now you might have gone a little bit too. I can't <laughs> swing with you there. I'm not going to take that leap of faith, but I agree. There's not a single character introduced in this movie that I wasn't knocked down impressed with. And I'd love to see them all again. 
But we get a short break from superheroes. Our next one is Aquaman next week. Why is that a break from superheroes? Why is that a break? (laughs) Next Tuesday, one week from now, our next show is another superhero movie. Yeah, there's some M. Night in between. (laughs) Something keeps happening. But I don't think there's any relief from superheroes. They're here to stay. (laughs) I was being a little sarcastic in that, yeah, we got three weeks and three new release movies. Spider-Verse this week. Next week, two movies are going to do it out in theaters aquaman and bumblebee i've already seen bumblebee and i'm seeing aquaman tonight so we're gonna have bumblebee's review out one week late just because aquaman seems to be getting bigger buzz well yeah it was number one worldwide just because of china it already made 94 million from china yeah so for our chinese audience i don't know that there is one i actually don't think the chinese (laughs) censors let us in there i don't know that i've ever seen a download from china use your proxies and vpn (laughs) to listen to us yeah (laughs) but we'll have aquaman in one week bumblebee in two weeks and you said we have the happening in between yes our m night Shyamalan retrospective has either reached its apex or its bottom i can't decide which yeah if you want a -a shamathon it's the peak That is going on. We have our donation drive still for a few more weeks. We're leading up to the release of Glass in January. I'm actually really excited for Glass. More superheroes. I don't know. Our snippet this week was about Bruce Willnot. So we'll have to see if Bruce Willis can do anything in the way of a performance these days. But we'll find that out. And you can get right now 26 bonus podcasts immediately with a donation or up to 26 and a total total of 33 when all is said and done. If you go to nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash donate, you can hear our Suspiria series. Suspiria's remake was just announced it's hitting home media in January. So if it didn't come to your city the way it didn't come to ours, it's going to be readily available to be seen in about a month. And I think direct to video, it'll be right around New Year's. We've got a bunch of M. Night reviews, Sixth Sense, Unbreakable, Signs, The Village, and Lady in the Water available now. Three Jamie Lee Curtis horror films that we reviewed all from 1980. We've got the Simon Pegg, Nick Frost series as we wait for sometime Slaughterhouse Rules to be announced. Yeah, it's like next summer at this point. And this past Tuesday, out on direct-to-video came Leprechaun Returns. So you get to hear all of our Leprechaun reviews and after glass, we'll be reviewing Leprechaun Returns in March. And before we get to Aquaman, yes, we have the happening happening. But if you're a patron, we're going to be giving you the nightmare before Christmas this weekend. We want to get you that review before Christmas. And if you're not a patron, seriously consider going to nowplayingpatron.com. It's the best bargain in podcasting, to my knowledge. Not only do we put out a new show for free every Tuesday, plus our donation drives, but if you sign up now for $10, you get immediate access to 20 21 bonus podcasts that are exclusive just to our patrons and then a new one every single month this month nightmare before christmas next month super february body heat march forbidden planet april big these are some announcements here 
and subject to change, as is our schedule always. Yeah, <laughs> want to throw that little caveat in there. We, we Things change. But yeah, that's what we're hoping. And so head to nowplayingpatron.com. You'll also get our silver level series. And if you pledge 25 at the patron level, you get the M. Night films, plus these 21 other bonus podcasts. It started off as something we hoped people would sign up for. And now it's something that I think everybody should sign up for because less than 50 cents a podcast for full in-depth reviews of movies like Apocalypse Now, Beetlejuice, Galaxy Quest, The Warriors, a ton. Just go to nowplayingpatron.com, see the list. So we'll be back Friday with Happening, Sunday with Nightmare Before Christmas, and Christmas Day, because we've not missed a Tuesday, including holidays in years. So Tuesday, Christmas Day with Aquaman. Why? Because with great podcasts comes great responsibility. It's all my fault. I drove Spider-Man away. Spider-Man was a hero. I just couldn't see it. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Now Playing Spider-Man Retrospective Series. It's good to have you back, Spider-Man. Part of our Marvel Comics Movie Retrospective Series. It's hip, it's now, it's wild, and how? Crawl on the World Wide Web to NowPlayingPodcast.com. You can find reviews of other comic-based movie series, such as The Avengers, Batman, X-Men, Blade, Ghost Rider, and Punisher. What are you waiting for? Chinese New Year? Go, go, go! We also have non-comic-based movie reviews, such as Star Trek, Rocky, Transformers, The X-Files, Tron, and many more. There are bigger things happening here than me and you. You will also find individual movie reviews such as Green Lantern, Cowboys and Aliens, Avatar, and Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. I'm so loving this. Oh, me too. While at NowPlayingPodcast.com, be sure to join our forums where you can discuss this show with other listeners. Game. Looks like just in the nick of time. You can also follow Now Playing on Facebook and Twitter, where the hosts post new episode announcements and written movie reviews. I'll be there. The links to our social media pages can be found at nowplayingpodcast.com. I'm going. I'll be here when you get back. Support from listeners like you help keep Now Playing operating. Everybody needs help sometimes, Peter. Even Spider-Man. You can find a donate button using PayPal at the bottom of our website, nowplayingpodcast.com. You have money, right? I'm not very liquid right now. I think you're going to be a bad teacher. You can also show your love of Now Playing Podcasts by shopping in our store, where you can buy t-shirts, totes, boxers, coffee mugs, teddy bears, and much more. Looks uncomfortable. It gets kind of itchy. It rides up in the crotch a little bit, too. Now Playing's Spider-Man Retrospective Series is edited by Arnie. Misery, 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 that's what you've chosen. Now Playing Credit Narration by Brock. And I've never even seen his face. Now Playing is not affiliated with Marvel Enterprises or Columbia Pictures. Spider-Man and all that the Marvel Universe contains is the property and trademark of the Disney Company. And no infringement is intended. What are you, his lawyer? Get out of here. Let him sue me. Get rich like a normal person. The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Venganza Media Incorporated. I missed the part where that's my problem. Now Playing is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2018, all rights reserved. Enough said. 
Miles is spotted by Kingman Henchman, the Prowler. So we Miles is spotted by Kingman Henchman, the Prowler. See when Spider-Man's head was pushed into the street. See when Spider-Man's head was pushed into the stream, it called Spider People from across. See when Spider-Man's head was pushed into the stream, it called Spider People from across several. See, when Spider-Man's head was pushed into the stream, it called spider people from across several parallel universes. I was going to bark if he didn't. It's fun. <laughs> <laughs> no, oh, no, is that no. what's going on? You're not going to get in. <laughs> <laughs> this plot summary is going to take five years. Yeah, we're still in the first 15 minutes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Futuristic Penny Parker. <laughs> Voice. <laughs> Fooled you. I heard, yeah. I heard that one. Just between the bars. <laughs> Miles is with Prow Prowler, and I'm kidding. Say he, he knew who he was with. He just couldn't remember how to You're say like, it. Oh no! With my mouth word. That was yeah. That was the ball. And he was with Prowler. Too <laughs> <laughs> self-conscious, just like Miles. But the plot is that what they've taken. They have a strand of Fisk's Fisk's. Ah, how do you say that? They have a strand of Frisk's wife Fisk's. and child's DNA. Not Frisk. Yeah. Frisk. He's not Frisky. Fisk's. Yeah. They have a strand of Fisk's. Say Prowler one more time. Prowler. 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 You see, I can't. I can only do Prowler or Prowler. Prowler. Growler. Growler. Here, Growler. I can do Growler. But Prowler, it does not work. It's the Prowler. I wonder if it's because I have no tonsils. I'm handicapped, damn it. <laughs> well, I I, can, I used to be able to trill my R's in Spanish, and then they took my tonsils out, and I couldn't trill my R's anymore. Mm. I, it literally gave me a Spanish speech impediment. <laughs>